Open your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 6. We've kind of had a, a mixture of, of teaching because Pastor Michael had a series, uh, an excellent series on overcoming, which then he had to overcome something himself. So I filled in for him, and then he filled in for me last week and finished the series. And, uh, and he's got some meetings tonight, so I'm going to pick up with something that the first time I did that for him, I just felt led to talk about faith. I've just been ministered to some people over the last few months, and then last year in my own life went through a situation, and, and you may never go through one of these, but most people do at some point, where there's just a sudden disaster. I mean, you, it can be a, a sudden doctor's report you weren't expecting. I sure was not expecting the doctor's report that I got. And, and, and suddenly your world's turned upside down. You know, everything's kind of, you know, we kind of know where everything is, you know. Things are kind of coasting along. And maybe you've got some issues in your life you're dealing with, but, you know, you've, I can kind of handle that. And, you know, I kind of see where I'm going, and I kind of see, you know, my family. Finally, my kids are kind of calmed down. You know, when you've got enough kids, it's kind of hard to get them all in a good place all at once. So when they are, you just go, whew, that's good for today. And, you know, it's just kind of like that. And, and then all of a sudden, just about you think you've got to manage, boom, your life gets turned upside down. Or maybe that doesn't happen. You just pick up a newspaper, turn on CNN or one of those things and decide, realize that we got a crazy man running North Korea and we got craziness going on in the Middle East and there's a fair degree of craziness going on in our own country and you wonder what has happened to the world you know you can't go safely places and and all of a sudden you know it's like the world starts coming in on you and then your own life comes in on you how do you survive that and what it does is it reveals to us where we really are it reveals to us where we really are god doesn't bring these things into our lives but they are opportunities to discover where we really are. And what I've just realized is, although this church is called Faith Christian Center, we've kind of gotten weak on the faith part. And we need to go back periodically and go over what faith is. And so a few weeks ago when I started doing this, and again it's been interrupted, we talked about the Bible says we're to walk by faith and not by sight. That's Second Corinthians 5, 7. And then we, we talked about uh, living by faith. And then last time we talked about it, we talked about the, the relationship between grace and faith. We're saved by grace through faith. And we saw that grace is God's side. It's what He has done for us, what He's provided for us. And what we saw is in the cross, Jesus, God provided through Christ everything we're ever going to need. He provided eternal deliverance for us. He provided healing for our bodies. He, he, he defeated the enemy of our souls, Satan. He provided freedom and peace for us. Say, so how come we're not walking in it? That's God's side. But it's received by faith. Our side is faith, and faith is not a passive thing where I sit in my blue chair and say, I believe that. I believe that. I believe that. Faith requires action to seal that faith, to seal what we believe. And that's what we talked about the last time. Now I want to get into the relationship tonight between faith and hope and patience, because they work together. So Hebrews chapter 6, I'm in Galatians, that's not going to work. Hebrews chapter 6. We'll start in verse 11. Now we desire that each one of you show the same diligence. You don't hear a lot of messages on diligence, do you? Now, in, in the generation that my, my parents' generation, uh, they were diligent people. 
But my generation, the boomers, we kind of got a little bit lazy, and so we've raised, by and large, lazy children who are now raising lazier children. And we're not going to go there, I promise, because that pretty much includes all of us. But the Bible talks a lot about diligence. Diligence. We desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. And in this wonderful message of grace that's so prevalent in the church today, it's wonderful and it's true, but it's not the whole message of the Bible because if all we do is hear grace, we can just kind of sit back comfortably and say, well, this is what God's done for me, but it's received by faith, which is something we have to do, and that requires diligence so we come to the full assurance of hope until the end. So in order to come to the end successfully, in order to overcome and finish your course successfully, that requires hope, which we're going to talk about tonight. But to have hope, the full assurance of hope, requires diligence. That went over big. It requires work. It's a four-letter word you can say in church. It requires doing something day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. I get in situations now where scriptures will just fly out of me that aren't even coming from my mind. I'm not sure I could remember them if I had to. But for years I put those scriptures in diligently and diligently and diligently. And if you haven't, the good news is if you're still breathing, you can start today. But understand this, in order to have the full assurance of hope to the end, you're going to have to be diligent at something. We're going to have to be diligent hearers of the Word. We're going to have to be diligent doers of the Word. And we're going to have to take the Word and diligently put it in our heart. Because you have an enemy that's trying to steal it out of your heart and out of your life. And we'll probably talk a little bit about that on Sunday. So have the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. Verse 12. So that you do not become sluggish. That word actually means lazy. You don't hear a lot about that in church either. But it's all through Proverbs. Diligence and sloppiness. Laziness. The church today, and I'm not talking about this church in particular, but it probably applies to many of us, is we become lazy. We become lazy because we're, we're wealthy. You may not think you're wealthy, but by the world's standards, you're wealthy. We have Bibles, we have time, we have freedom... And that just kind of leads us to just kind of sit back. And if we don't value that and appreciate it, we may well lose it. You have not become, that you not become, you have to be diligent with the full assurance of hope, full to the end, so that you don't become sluggish or lazy, but you imitate those who we're going to look at tonight, who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So the promises of God are not just inherited through faith, it requires patience. And this word patience is a word that means to endure under pressure. It means to be steadfast. It also means under persecution to not strike back, to stand still. You know, the Bible says an awful lot of it, it's just standing. Having done all to stand, stand. It's hard for some of us just to stand still. And sometimes that's the way to it. Just stand requires patience. Oh, I don't want to say that, Lord. Our vacation, we were on a cruise. And, 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 and one of the 
the places you eat is, is like a buffet. And you got to get in line. Some of you know where I'm going with this. You got to get. I was in line at the coffee machine. Free coffee. I'm in line for it. And I'm looking at these people in front of me that are in my way. They're, they're in my way for me. It's not, now, I, I could understand if it was the first cup in the morning, that I, you'd all understand. But I mean, I've already had a couple, two cups of coffee, and I just want an extra cup with my breakfast, and this, these people are in my way. And it's like, now I had this <laughs> happen a long time ago where God spoke to me. He says, where, where are you, where, what are you in such a hurry for? Where are you going to go? You're out in the middle of the ocean, and you're on vacation. <laughs> And it's not like if you don't get that in the next five minutes, you're going to die. And I had to realize, wait a minute, I'm impatient. And that's because I, I, I lead a life that's, that's, that's too driven sometimes. And the devil wants to fill your life up with good things so that you don't pull aside and spend time with the Lord. And I've learned to do that now. I spend time in the morning. I'll spend, and you don't have to go by what I do, but I'll spend about an hour and a half, sometimes two hours. I'm not always doing the same thing. So I don't get in here at the crack of dawn because when I get up, I immediately spend time in prayer. I spend time in the Word with my cup of coffee. <laughs> and the Lord and the Bible and my cup of coffee have a great time together. But in that time of peace, in that time of pulling inside, in that time of opening my heart up to Him, I get a refreshing. Sometimes, I'll, many times, I'll get direction for what to do or just confidence that no matter what's going to come up in the day, I know, not just by faith, but by experience that day, He's walking through this with me. It's like breathing. It's like getting in that buffet line and getting the food in your stomach. This is getting life into my spirit. But that requires diligence to do that and patience. Now, patience becomes important because you don't know... Patience requires you to wait for things when you don't want to wait for them. So let's go over, let's go over to Hebrews chapter um, 10. So what this is telling us, in to order to inherit God's promises, in order to get answer to our prayers, in order to get answer to faith, it not only requires faith, but it requires patience. Now, I don't like the word patience... Complations immediately implies several things I don't like. And I'll just be very frank with you. Uh, whether I like it or not doesn't matter because I don't get to vote on it. But, um, but it, it implies waiting. It implies I'm not getting immediate results. See, my generation, the boomer generation, was the first of the push-button generations. Now it's not even buttons you push that you just speak to things. i got things in my car, I just talk to it, and it talks back to me. Sometimes it, it talks back to me. <laughs> Sometimes it does what it wants to do. My smartphone's not quite as smart as they think my smartphone is. It, it will just, you know, and I don't want to go there. I mean, it's really dumb when you're getting mad at your phone. And I don't do that very often. I don't want to go there. All right. Okay. Praise the Lord. All right, Hebrews chapter, what did I tell you, 10? Okay, patience implies a delay. And we don't like delays. We like to get, ask God. I like to go through the draw. It's, like it's almost like we imagine that the kingdom of heaven is like McDonald's or we went through Chick-fil-A for the first time the other day because the line wasn't so large. But McDonald's, they got two windows. I think they still do. 
because um, I only go there when my grandkids want to go there, and they're getting old enough not to do that, so praise God. So, but you go, and going through a drive-in window is the greatest demonstration of faith that there is in our natural life, because you pull up to the first thing where the guy talks to you, you don't even know who he is, and he says, may I take your order, please, and you hope he got it straight tells you what the price is, and you drive to the next window when there's some sweet young thing there saying $14.75, please, and you hand them the $14.75, and they tell you to go to the next window. You don't have your Big Mac French fries and, you know, shake. You gave your money by faith to some girl in a pink uniform with a funny hat on who's working for a clown. And we boldly hand them the money and drive on down and fully expect our Big Mac French fries and shake to be at that next window. That's faith. But we think God's like that. You know, we take a scripture and we go to the window and we say, God, He says, what do you want, son? This is what I want. You know, drive down, you know. And we expect it to just come out the next window. But it doesn't work like that sometimes, many times. It requires patience. So very often there's a delay between when we finally get in faith, because a lot of time the delay is because we're really not in faith. We'll talk about that in a minute. But once you get in faith, just because you don't get an answer right away does not mean you weren't in faith, necessarily. Because there's often patience involved. What did I say? Hebrews chapter 10? Okay. Verse uh, 32. No, I'm on 11. That's not going to work. But recall the former days. Now we're talking about going through trouble. And recall the former days, he says, after you were illuminated or enlightened or you had the revelation of the truth, you endured a great struggle with sufferings. Partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations. They were persecuted. And partly while you became companions or friends of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me and my chains, and look at this, joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. How many of us, if the government suddenly fell, it was illegal to be a Christian, and the, the police showed up tomorrow morning and threw you out of your house out onto the street? How many of you would be joyful? Now, not joyful for losing anything. How many of us would it shake our confidence in God? It's a good question to ask yourself. Because it didn't shake them. Those things reveal where you really are. Suddenly losing things, your health, losing your job, maybe losing a mate, maybe losing a, a child. Some disaster happens, you'll find out where your relationship really is with God. Now understand this, God already knows. So when the truth comes out, God's not going to look at you and say, Oh my goodness, I thought they were better than that. He already knows and maybe people around you know, we're the last ones often to find out. But that now becomes the opportunity to grow. And this is what happened to me last year. When I got that diagnosis I was not expecting, all of a sudden I discovered where my faith was because I'd been so busy doing other things, I just kind of was coasting for a while. 
And you can't coast in faith because the more you coast in it, the weaker it gets. Because we're in this constant battle between faith and what God says and what our senses are telling us, and very often they contradict each other. And now you've got a doctor's report with lab evidence saying you got this disease and you got God's word that says by His stripes you're healed and, and the doctor's words were having greater authority to me than God's word. Why? Because I'd spent less time meditating on God's word about healing and more time thinking about what doctors say. That makes sense to you? And so I'd become weak in that area. Now once I realized what was going on, I had to begin to build myself up again in faith. But I was, had to be wise enough to realize I was not at that point where I could just say, thank you, doctor, but I'm going to just stand on God's word on this because I knew where my faith was. But now I've got to use that opportunity to begin to build it up because God expects us to grow in our faith. To grow in our faith. All right. So their faith was at such a point, and this is what the writer of Hebrews is reminding them of, because they were going through another struggle, and he was calling them back to a struggle they went for, and he says, don't you remember where your faith was? You even endured with joy the plundering of your goods under persecution. And you were terribly persecuted, and not only that, you became friends and companions with those that were persecuted. In other words, you identified yourself with them. You didn't separate yourself from them and say, I'm afraid, I don't want to be treated that way myself. Now, he talked about how and why they could do that. You had compassion on me, verse 34, in my chains, and joyfully accepting the plundering of your goods, knowing, this is how they could do it, knowing that you have a better an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. They could go through this terrible persecution. They could go through this difficult, challenging time because they had confidence that there was something better for them that was awaiting them and awaiting us. We sang about it tonight. Lord Jesus, come. Come what? Come to get us. Come to take us home. But unless He comes tonight, you're going to have to get up tomorrow and face whatever you left when you came here tonight. And so he says, as a result, verse 35, this is what I want to Therefore, do not cast away your confidence. You can only cast away something you have. See, a lot of times people think, well, I don't have enough faith. That's not the issue. You were given faith when you were saved. The question is, what have you done with it? Have you developed it? Have you matured it? Have you exercised it? See, if you don't have the faith, now we've got to go get it somewhere. But if you have it already, you can begin to... It's like muscles. If you had to go to a muscle store and buy muscles, then, you know, you'd have to have the money to go to a store. But you've already got muscles, but whatever shape they're in is a result of what you've done with them. That went over big. <laughs> Do not throw away your confidence, verse 35. Why? Because it has a great reward. A great reward. The devil is trying to get us to throw away our confidence, to become discouraged, to become weary in well-doing, to quit, to lay down our weapons, to lay down our faith, to just give up and coast through to the end so he can chew us up. But not just that, so he can take your testimony, your purpose, what God has put you here to do, the people God has called you to heaven 
influence on and get you to shut up, sit down and be quiet because you're dangerous to Him. And collectively, we're very dangerous to Him. So He not only wants to get us to quit, He wants us to get fighting with each other. So we're not fighting against Him. But our confidence, if we don't throw it away, has a great reward for us. A great reward for us. Say great reward. Say it again. Great reward. I got a great reward coming to me. Get up in the morning. I got a great reward coming to me. What if you got a message tomorrow that you've, you know, you've won the lottery? You're going to tell I got the, you don't have the money yet, but I got a notice. I got, a, I got the lottery check coming. You got something better. You got a great reward coming from God. It may not come in the mail tomorrow, but it's coming when He's coming back. All right. Verse 36. That's exciting. All right. We got a great reward coming. For you have need of... Ooh, I don't like that word either. You have need. So to get this reward, we need to have... I hate to say the word. Endurance. Ooh, I don't like that less than I do patience. Because at least patience, I have the implication I can just stay still and not move. But endurance implies I'm going through something. And I got to put up with it. Not just people. I got to put up with the circumstances. Sometimes you got to put up with people too. We won't go there. So that after you've done the will of God, after you've done the will of God, not after you survived, (laughs) not after you've just held your breath long enough to get through, after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Not may doesn't mean, may doesn't mean it's possible. You will receive the promise. So we have need of endurance. That word endurance means the ability to stand up under pressure. We have need of endurance so that after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise, which is the great reward. Verse 37, For yet in a little while, and this was written 2,000 years ago, (laughs) in a little while he who is coming will come, and he will not tarry, he will not delay. Now the just, those who have been made righteous are just, that's us, shall live by faith. And this is why. But if any draws back, God says, my soul takes no pleasure in him. But we're not of those who, believe, who draw back to perdition. That word means destruction. But we believe to the saving of the soul. So we have need in this walk. We have need in this war that we're going through because Paul's writings, Paul's letters, both with the church at Ephesus and his letters to, to Timothy, say we're in a war. And, and if you haven't realized we're in a war, you haven't been around very long. You're in a spiritual battle. Amen. And if you don't know you're in a spiritual battle, you're going to be a, you're going to be a, a casualty of that battle. So it takes endurance, it takes faith to get started, and endurance to see that faith through. So faith needs endurance to stand still. Now, if you immediately got an answer to every prayer, you wouldn't need endurance. But you need endurance because just because you prayed, believe God just because He's promised it, and you believed Him, doesn't mean there's not opposition in it getting to you. 
Sometimes it's other people that are involved. This is going to get good. Just hang on. <laughs> All right. Now, so let's go now to chapter 11 because this was, it was a letter, of course, and it was just written as one long discussion. So he's saying that we have, we have uh, verse 36, uh, 38 says, the just shall live by faith. So we need have, to have faith and endurance so we can see this thing through the end so that we can receive the great reward. So what is this faith? Verse 11, chapter 11, verse 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now there are a lot of other versions of this the New Living Translation has a nice version of it, uh, but, but I like this one because they tend to wa- often tend to water it down by talking about, well, faith is a confidence, it's an assurance, and it is, but it's more than that. I want to break this down just a little bit. Now, faith is. In the Greek, and I don't need to belabor this with you, the first Greek word in this sentence is is. And in Greek, the order of the words is important. It tells you the first word is the most important word. So that tells you that this is a definition. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. And I mentioned this a few weeks ago. This word substance is the word hypostasis, which literally means to stand underneath and hold up. And it comes from a medical term when they used to take a, a fluid and I don't want to offend anybody, but it comes from basically taking urine and letting it sit, but it could happen with blood too, I guess, and let it sit over a period of time, and what would happen is this, what the substance, the material that was in that fluid begins to settle down by gravity to the bottom, and what's pure fluid rises to the top. And what settled down out of that was this word hypostasis or substance, and why I love that example, because that substance, that, those particles, were in the fluid in the beginning, but you couldn't see them because they were, they, were, they were combined with the fluid, but either by a centrifuge or by this gravity, it slowly settled out of it, and you could now see what was already there that you couldn't see before. Everybody follow me? Nobody offended? Okay, all right. So it's the substance of things hoped for. There's that word again. The full assurance of hope. We don't hear a lot about hope. The big Greek word for hope is not generally the term we would use because we can use hope in a kind of a, 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 a relaxed uh, uh, way such as, you know, you, you think that, do you think the Patriots are going to win the Super Bowl again? I hope so. That's a, that's a sincere desire. It's an intention, a desire. This word is much stronger than this. That is, this word is a confident expectation. Confident expectation. Such as when I got to the third window in McDonald's, I was expecting that Big Mac French fries and shake. Because if I didn't get it, I was going to express my expectation had been disappointed. <laughs> And the evidence that I expected it is I rolled my window down even though it was 15 degrees out and I opened my window to to reach out and take it because I was expecting it. Hope is important because often we talk about faith but we don't talk about hope because notice, faith is the substance of things hoped for. If you're not 
hoping for anything, there's nothing for your faith to give substance to. And this is where a lot of Christians are. They're afraid to hope because they don't want to be disappointed. So they're trying to act in faith, but faith gives substance, tangibility to what you're hoping for. But if you're not hoping for something, there's nothing to attach your faith to. One of the best examples of that, and I've used it before, and it wasn't, I'm not, it wasn't original with me. On that wall over there, we have a thing called a thermostat. We have one over there. We've got one in a closet back there that controls the back room, and we come, the, the stay, the back of the, and we got one over here. And, and I've never figured this one out. This is easier. And, and what you do is if, if we go, if I tell Alan, sometimes, you know, it's kind of warm up here, would you please bring the temperature down? He'll go up to that thermostat and he'll lower the temperature from 72 to let's say 68. The moment he does that, it doesn't go from 72 to 68 in here because that thermostat has no power. It's a piece of plastic with some, some, some wires and some uh, circuits in there. Uh, and, and, but, but that thermostat's connected to a large unit out back that has the power to bring cool air in here. But if I have the thermostat and I don't have a furnace out there or an air conditioning unit, I can play with that thing all day long and it won't do anything. On the other hand, I can have an air conditioner out back or a furnace out back or an HVAC unit out back, and if I don't have a thermostat, I could have spent $20,000 on that, and it won't change anything in here because what the thermostat does is it tells that unit what I desire. Amen. So I have to have the desire, and I, when I set that on 68, I'm expecting it to get to 68. I'm not just, you know, maybe it's going to get there. I'm expecting it to get to 68. But I understand that that's just setting the goal. That's my expectation. It takes the power of that HVAC unit to carry out that expectation. Hope is the thermostat. Hope is what you're expecting to happen. Faith gives the power to bring what you expect to happen into reality in this, li- in, this world, in this realm. You follow me on that? So we need both. Now here's the other problem, is often people confuse hope for faith. And I can tell it when I listen to them. Because you pray for somebody and you say, all right, now do you believe that you're healed? I hope so. That's not faith. Well, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, it's, it's, it's going to come. I, that's not faith. Faith and hope each have their to- time reference. Hope is always future. Hope is what's going to happen, and it's my expectation of what's going to happen. Faith believes it's mine now because it's already done even though I don't see it. So faith is now. So when I'm in faith, I'm not talking about what's going to happen. I'm not talking about what I want. I'm talking as if it's mine. In fact, when I'm really in faith, 
I don't even have to talk about it very much because I know it's mine. So I start thanking God it's mine. So if somebody makes a promise to you and you truly believe them, you're not going to keep asking them for it because you believe they meant what they said when they said it's yours to the point that it's in the bank. I'll give you an example I heard years ago by somebody here actually. wasn't one of our staff people. Suppose you're out of work and you, 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 know, you applied for jobs and you know, you're, things are getting really tight. You're not even sure you can pay the rent this month and you know, the kids need clothes and you know, the car needs some work on it and you've just been applying all over the place and nothing's worked and you go in for this interview and you just, you know, you, you, you know, you, you're, you're having trouble with your hope because you've been disappointed so many times but you've got a little bit of hope. And you go in there and this guy you've never met listens to your application he says, you know, you're just the person we need. We're going to hire you. You can start next Monday, and this is what your salary will be, and it's beyond anything you were hoping for, beyond anything you were hoping for. You walk out of there, and what's the first thing you're going to do? You're going to pick out your phone, you're going to call your wife, and you're going to say, I have a job, we're going out to dinner tonight, get the kids ready, get dressed, make a reservation, let's call the landlord and say the money's coming on Tuesday, all these things, and you haven't got a penny yet. Your whole attitude's different. Wow, I got the job, we're out of trouble, we're going to get out of debt, everything's going to get paid off, I can get the kids back out of hawk if I want them, <laughs> you know? And, and, and your wife starts dreaming about, you know, I could saw that car the other day I'd like, and, I, uh, and all this dreaming, and this planning starts playing, and you don't have a dime, you haven't even worked a minute yet. Your whole attitude's changed, why? Because you believe the word of a man you don't even know. Because he said, you got a job, and Monday you start working. But God can say, the God who created the universe, the God who gave His Son's life for you and me, I'm talking to me as much as you, gave His Son's life to redeem our souls from hell, He makes a promise to us and saying, I shall supply all your needs according to my riches and glory. And we walk around how this is ever going to happen. I don't know how this is ever going to... I don't know how the bills are going to get paid. We're going down. We're going to be out in the streets. What you're doing is you're using a negative hope. Because hope is nothing more than a positive imagination. But you can have a negative imagination. And that's a lot easier until our minds are renewed to the Word of God. Let's use another example. The doctor calls you with the test results and says the test results tell you you've got cancer. That's what the doctor says. Doesn't know God. He's reading actual test results and that's what the doctor says. You don't deny what the doctor says. But we take that as if it's gospel. We take that as if it's the last word. Oh my gosh, I'm going to die. I've got six months to live. It's all over with. Of course, we sing about when we all get to heaven. And then the doctor tells you you're going soon. <laughs> we find out we're not quite in the hurry. We thought we were Sunday morning. 
And we immediately start reacting to what that doctor said. Nothing's lying. But then God's Word says, by His stripes you were healed. It was all paid for on that cross. And I've got God's Word saying one thing and the doctor saying something else. And I've got to choose which one I'm going to believe. And the one I react to is the one I'm believing. So hope is future-oriented. And we need the hope like we need the thermostat, but don't mistake hope for faith. And I've known people that, you know, were quote-unquote standing in faith and died. People say, well, they were in faith. I don't know whether they were or not because I, I can't look down inside, but I can hear words. And I've had some, I know, no, they're not. And I can't... You can't shake them up by saying they're not. In, case, in some cases, I have, if I knew them well enough. So I know you think you're in faith, dear, but you're not. I'm not condemning you. Good first step. But faith means it's yours now. Now faith is. Now, the word now in Greek is not now, now. You know, it means, it's a different, I don't want to get into that. But faith means it's mine now. I possess it now even though I can't see it. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, we're going to look at some examples here. Let's go the rest, let's go the rest of that because it says the same thing. I love this. Especially, I guess, as a lawyer, I like the evidence. And I've shared this before with you, but it's just to me it's so clear. In a courtroom, the whole purpose of a trial is to prove facts of what happened to which the law is then applied. And in order to prove the facts, you can't just show facts. You have to produce your case, and you produced your case by showing evidence. But evidence points to something is happening. So you're in a, you've got a case of a car accident. And, you know, the, 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 the driver number one says, you know, you ran the red light and hit me. And driver number two says, no, you pulled out in front of me. So they've got two different versions of the same thing. The jury has to believe which is the truth. So to prove your case, you present evidence. And there's two basic types of evidence. There's tangible evidence, which is the bent fender or whatever, or the, 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 bla- the bloody knife or the smoking gun. But there's the most common type of evidence is oral evidence, which is somebody sitting on a witness stand telling what they saw. But the whole purpose of that evidence is to prove that something really happened or it didn't happen that way. Faith is what sits in the witness stand in place of the evidence. Faith is the evidence of what we've hoped for. I'll give you an example. This is not mine. This I heard from Fred Price years ago. Suppose you're out on an archaeological dig and they come up with this bone and come running up and we found the, the, the left femur bone of a brontosaurus. That's evidence that a brontosaurus was there. But that's not the brontosaurus. That's just evidence to prove to you the brontosaurus was at one point there because this is the evidence, like a fossil, this is the evidence that was left by that brontosaurus millions of years ago. On the other hand, if the ground starts rumbling and the water starts shaking in the glass and you begin to look over the hill, here comes his head over the hill, and here comes this Baranosaurus. You don't need evidence of him now. You got him. 
You understand the difference? Faith takes the place of evidence. Because what evidence does is tells me it's true, it's real. And this is what we're looking for from God. I want evidence that you're real. How do I know you're real? I want evidence that you're real. Well, you can't see God. You can't touch God. You can't taste God. You can't hear God with your natural ears unless something supernatural happens. So what does it take to believe there's a God? Faith. Faith takes the place of the evidence that we would normally need in our five senses. I don't need to make faith that this, this pulpit's here because I can touch it. I can see it. So my five senses are verifying to me evidence that this pulpit is here. And you can see it. And you can hear it when I knock on it. So your five senses, or some of your five senses, are giving you evidence that this is really here. But the Bible tells us that there are angels here in the room with us. And I can't prove they're here by my five senses. So how do I have confidence that they're here the same way I have confidence this pulpit's here? Because I, can, I have evidence that it's here. And the evidence is my five senses. The evidence that the angels are here, the evidence that things of God are here, the evidence that God is real, because I can't confirm it and, but, well, by my five senses, the evidence is faith. Faith gives me the same assurance that God is real. Faith gives me the same assurance that God's Word is real, that my five senses gives me the same assurance this pulpit's real. Everybody follow me so far? All right, we're going to see that in a minute as we get into this. For by, by it the elders gained a good testimony. I didn't tell them to put this verse in there, but I'm going to go to verse 3. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. Not by the Hubble telescope, not by, not by uh, 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 satellites that have been set out into the universe, not by electronic telescopes, by faith. This is why science can't ever come up with an answer as to the beginning of everything, because the beginning of everything has to be believed by faith. Our minds cannot make that leap. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God, so that the things which are seen, the stars, the earth, the moon, the air, the things that are detected by our five senses, by faith, so that the things which are seen were not made out of things that are visible. So all of creation was not made out of something that's tangible. In other words, God didn't go to Lowe's or Home Depot to get the materials to put this earth together. He spoke it out of nothing by faith. But it takes faith to believe that that's where it came from because you can't go back and trace its origin. Which is no matter how, matter how far they try to evolve back, <laughs> they come to this one inevitable end. Okay, everything came from this one little cell. Great. Where did the cell come from? <laughs> well, <laughs> and that's where they're stumped. There was a big bang. Okay, where did the bang come from? <laughs> Obviously. And they have to work hard to avoid the ultimate 
obvious answer. They don't have an answer to that. Why? Because we know it by faith, not by our understanding. Okay. Now we can move on quickly. Let's go down to verse six. Without faith, it is impossible. <laughs> In the Greek, that's the strongest possible negative. It is not possible to please Him. This is one of the most amazing scriptures in the Bible. We try to please God with all kinds of things. With our good works, we try to please God, and good works are important. We try to please God with our, all kinds of things, but you can't please Him without faith. Why? Because he who comes to God must believe that he is. That's obvious. You can't come to somebody if you don't believe they're there. If you heard a voice that said tonight, you know, jump off your roof and I'll catch you, and you don't see somebody there, and you jump, I have some doubts about you. You've got to know they're there. He who comes to God, you're not going to come to Him. This is so simple and profound, we miss this. This affects your prayer life. This affects your faith life. This affects your walk with God. Do you really believe He's there? Don't answer that question, because you'll answer it too quickly. We're not talking about mental belief. See, faith is not mental. Faith is of the heart. Jesus said, if you believe in your heart and not doubt in your heart, your heart can believe one thing and your head can believe something different. Happens more than you realize. He who comes to God must believe that He is. Not because that's God's requirement, it's just the fact. You can't come to somebody if you don't think they're there. So the question is, when you get in a jam, do you run to God? Who do you run to? When you get in an emergency, some disaster happens, something suddenly goes wrong, where do you turn? What's your first instinct? Because that's where your confidence is. Not what we say in church. Not what we're singing, come Jesus, come Lord Jesus. And there's nothing wrong with that. But the reality of where we are is in what we do. He who comes to God must believe that He is. Not that He exists out there somewhere, but that He's here. He's right there with you every moment. He's waiting to hear from you. Whether you feel Him or not, that, see, it takes faith. See, if you can feel the goosebumps and, oh God, this is so neat. Oh wow, oh yes, I know you're here. Oh Lord. There's no faith in that. The faith is when you feel like six miles of unpaved road and you haven't been in church for a while, you don't remember where your Bible is, and you get in an emergency and you want to cry out to God, but your mind's saying, He won't listen to me, I haven't been in church for a while, He's never leave you or forsake you. You must believe that He really is there, and that He's a rewarder. Remember we're talking about rewards, that He's a rewarder. He'll answer you of those who diligently seek Him. The word diligently is not actually in the Greek. The word actually means to, who seeks Him out, who goes after Him, who desires Him. So all it's saying is you can't, you can't come to God and really go after Him if you don't believe He's there and He won't put His arms around you. 
Some of you were raised in families where there was no physical touching or intimacy. So you're not likely to run and put your arms around people. Others of you were raised in families that hugged each other, touched each other all the time. And so, you know, you can t- I can tell when I come up to somebody. I met a, somebody a couple years ago that worked uh, in a, for a company, and, and she, was a, she was a lawyer, and she was, you know, a very exuberant person. And she says, do you hug? <laughs> Obviously she did. Uh, and that's what this means. Because God wants to hug you. God wants to be involved in your life. He wants you to talk things over with Him. Whatever it is you're going through, whatever you're struggling with right now, He's your Father. He loves you. He wants you to come right where you are right now. Full of faith, no faith, come and talk to Him because it takes faith to go talk to Him. And expect He's going to answer you. But the reason this is important, the reason it takes faith to please God, not because God has this, has this meter in heaven that measures your faith. And He's going... Nick's got good faith. David's Denny's faith is good there. So Ray's faith is, you know, like this. No, that's not what it is. What he's saying is, what pleases God isn't our faith. What pleases God is when we come to Him. But it takes faith to come to Him. And so without faith you can't please Him because what pleases Him is coming to Him and you can't come to Him unless you believe He's there and He'll reward you for coming. So it's not, i got to get more faith, i got to get more faith to please Him. No, what pleases Him is you coming to Him. And the way you develop that is to come to Him. I challenge you to get up tomorrow morning and take five minutes if you're not used to this and just pull aside. Get up five minutes early if you've got to do it. Get quiet somewhere. You may have to go into the bathroom. You may have to go sit in the car if you've got lots of kids. And we've had to do that before. And just say, God, I'm here to be alone with you. And I'm here to be quiet with you. When you first start doing this, you won't hear anything. You may not sense anything. And that's not on God's side. It's on our side. Because we're not used to this. We're not really expecting this. But if you continually, diligently do this, what happens is your confidence before Him will grow. And you'll be able to begin to hear Him in here, love you, accept you, and answer you. He's already ready to do it, but we're the issue because we don't really have confidence He's there. Because I've had times, am I here by myself this morning, God? Are you really there? See, I'm, I'm weak in my faith at that point that He's really there. So it affects my confidence in coming to Him. So this is one of the purposes of faith is so that we can walk in our real living relationship with Him. And as you begin to do that, it will change your life. Life will begin to have hope and purpose for you. Your faith will increase because faith really comes from knowing Him. Because the scriptures about, in Mark eleven twenty three and 24, you know, about faith and believing faith and the prayer of faith, we forget verse 22, which was before, Jesus said, have faith in God. It's because of what God's like, we can believe that what we ask will have. Because of God's character, because of God's nature, because of God's love for you. But it's been proven and demonstrated, but it's having faith in who He is and what He's like and His faithfulness, not my faithfulness, His faithfulness that I begin to relax and extend. Now my hope can begin to expand because most people are not going to hope for things they think they're going to get disappointed about. That's what I'm like. I have trouble hoping because I don't want to hope for something I get disappointed about. 
So, you know, it used to be at Christmas time. I don't know if I can hope for that. I'm not sure to put that on my list because I may not get it, that kind of thing. And we do that with God because we don't know what He's like. God wants you to hope. He wants you to dream. Now, there are limits to it, but those limits are in here. It's a big, wide limit. It's not some little picky thing. It's a big, wide limit, God. God wants you to dream. God wants you to dream about what He can do with you and for you and through you. God wants you to dream about what you can have as long as it doesn't have you. God wants you to dream about being well and healthy and strong. God wants you to dream about living a long and prosperous and healthy life. God wants you to dream about your family getting turned around. You've got to begin to dream about these things and expect them because God's full of possibilities. God's full of hope. God's full of endless abilities. All things are possible to him who believes God. God's not putting any limit on it. What puts the limit on it is our hope. I don't know that idea. You'll hear in the hospital, don't get their hopes up. Why? Yes, or they'll die hopeless. Get their hopes up. Get our hopes up. Because there's nothing to hook their faith to unless their hope gets up. Hope in God. Without faith it's impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He's a rewarder of those who diligently come after Him. I encourage you to start coming after Him. I do it in the car. I talk to Him in the car. I talk to him getting in the shower. It's one of my best times talking to him. Talking in the shower. I talk to him when I'm shaving. I've got to pay attention when I'm shaving, but he's there to heal me if I miss. <laughs> Just your father. He wants you to come to him. That's why, that's why he sent Jesus. And so you can come to him here. Yes, he's coming back for us. Yes, we're going to spend eternity, but you don't have to wait. He wants you to have his, because when you, you have a sense of his presence here, now that presence in you can begin to, begin to touch other people. When you're in heaven, that presence in you isn't going to affect anybody here. But while we're here, the more we're full of his presence, the more we're full of his spirit, the more we're full of his life and his love, the more we begin to touch other people's lives with his life in us. And it's his love for you f- overflowing out of you that's his will for us. We've got to stop. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your love. Lord, help us to, as we look at our own lives, maybe some here tonight going through very difficult times. Maybe there are some here right now that are struggling financially. They're either out of a job and been out of one for so long time, and maybe they've given up hope that they'll ever find one. Tonight, Lord, inspire them that in you there's always hope, and that hope is very real and very possible. You are the God of all hope and the God of all comfort because with you all things are possible. For them, there may be a job waiting for them tomorrow. Help them to lift their eyes off of where they are right now and lift their eyes up into you. Maybe there are some here tonight that are battling difficult physical situations and maybe the doctors doesn't have hope for them or maybe they don't know what the answer is or what even what's wrong and they're discouraged tonight, Father, and they're, they're hopeless tonight. Father, inspire them that with you all things are possible and that with you and your word and your promises and what you've done for them, there is deliverance, there is an answer, there is freedom. For those that are going through other difficult times, Father, help them to have hope again that they can put their faith and apply their faith to that hope. And Father, maybe there are people here that are just strong. Everything's going well. Waken us, Lord, and, and help us to realize in this time where there's peace in our lives, that's the time to begin to build our faith up.
That's the time to continue to put the Word of God into us. To become stronger because those trials and tests will come. And it's much better to be ready than to try to become ready when in the middle of a storm. But most of all, we thank you for your love for us. Your amazing grace and amazing love for us. We pray tonight, Father, if there's anyone here that has never received Christ, has never received...